You might, be, uh, you might like to turn to the Gospel of Mark and chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, again, that's fine. The scripture references uh, should come up on the screen above the stage in any case, so you can follow there. Please feel very free if you or your children need to, to get up, stretch your legs, find, uh, find the gents, find the ladies, come back through. Um, it's a funny one, isn't it, when the clocks go back? We think, yeah, we kind of gained an hour, and then we're kind of like hanging on for lunchtime. Um, so uh, we'll see how we get on. <laughs> in Mark chapter 9. Right. Let's uh, look together. I'm going to read in just a moment. Oh, maybe I'll let the containers finish their rounds. Uh, we've been looking in Mark's Gospel a, few, uh, a while now. And uh, last time we were in Mark's Gospel, we looked at at the very end of chapter 8, where, if you like, we reached the very high point of the letter so far. It's all building up to a moment when Peter, in chapter 8, verse 29, in response to Jesus' question, Jesus is saying, look, who do people say I am? And he says, what about you? who Who do you say I am? And the whole letter so far, the whole gospel has been building up to this point where Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Savior. You are the Messiah. You're the anointed one. No one so far has realized that, has recognized that, but the pennies drop for Peter and the other disciples. It comes as this, this massive high point. Everything's building up to that point. And then from chapter 8, verse 29, everything flows on from that um, afterwards. But it was a high point. Nevertheless, the disciples immediately have to grapple with a massive, shocking surprise when straight after that, Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to suffer. I'm, I'm going to die and rise again three days later. This doesn't, this doesn't compute for them. They're totally puzzled. And we're going to pick it up from this point now uh, in chapter 9, verse 2, what happens just a short time later. Another slightly different high point uh, is reached in Mark's gospel. Here we go. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. After six days... Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, One for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the son of man had risen from the dead they kept the matter to themselves discussing what rising from the dead meant and they asked him why do the teachers of the law say that elijah must come first jesus replied to be sure elijah does come first and restores all things why then is it written that the son of man must suffer much and be rejected but i tell you elijah has come and they have done to him everything they wished just as it is written about him. 
So here we are, still as it were, in a, in a high point up a mountain with Jesus and three of his disciples, three of his apostles. We're going to uh, follow the contours of the, of the narrative of the plot uh, and, uh, and first of all consider what did the disciples see? Let's look at what the disciples saw in verses 2 through to about 6. We've seen Jesus took three of his closest disciples up a mountain. And what's often interesting looking through Scripture is how often God meets with people on a mountain. They kind of represent a special key moment, encountering God, an eye-opening, amazing encounter where people following God see more clearly who he is and what he's doing and the whole Bible can be described as well that's getting a bit carried away there are lots of examples through the scripture of God encountering people uh, on the mountain I'll just go through a few of them on Mount Moriah we could do this as a quiz but that would probably slow us down anyway uh, Mount Moriah Abraham goes up Mount Moriah God tells him to go up Mount Moriah and he's told to take his son Isaac with him and he's told to sacrifice his son, his one and only son, the son of the promise. This seems absolutely nuts and craziness, but he's responding to God's leading. He goes up the mountain and then as he's about to sacrifice his son, has an encounter with the angel of the Lord speaking from heaven, telling him stop. And it becomes a place where God provides. It says in Genesis chapter 22 verse 14, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Because the angel of the Lord said, no, stop. Don't sacrifice your son. There's a ram caught in a thicket over there. This profound encounter um, with, with God on Mount Moriah, Moriah. On Mount Sinai, Moses had loads of different mountaintop experiences, and we could go through all of them. But just to pick on uh, one of them, in, in Exodus 24, uh, we see... Um, Moses up the mountain and what's interesting in that situation we won't necessarily look there in detail right now um, but Moses goes up a mountain with three named other followers and they go up the mountain there's even reference to um, six days on the mountain and Moses goes a bit further with Joshua and later on a cloud comes down it says of those guys they they saw the God of Israel and there's this this wonder, you can look in the, uh, Exodus chapter 24 in your own time, but this absolute wonder, they saw God, they saw the God of Israel, and they lived, and they ate. This is incredible, we've just encountered the living God, and uh, a cloud descends, and God calls to Moses from the cloud. A lot of similarities with what we see here in Mark chapter 9. On Mount Horeb, Elijah has had a massively amazing experience on Mount Carmel uh, where he has seen God kind of come down on his sacrifice with fire, uh, showing definitively that you shouldn't be worshipping Baal. An amazing moment, but later on he's running for his life. He's scared witless by a threat that comes from uh, Jezebel, who is married to the king, King Ahab. And in response to her threat, he runs for his life and he's in the pit of despair, really. Depressed, I'm, I'm no good. Uh, I'm no better than my ancestors. Just let me die. 
It's what he's in effect saying. He gets nourished. He goes further and he goes out Mount Horeb and he encounters God on the mountain there. And if you're familiar there, you can look another time if you like in 1 Kings chapter 19 uh, to see the detail. But some phenomenal things happen. God says, I'm going to meet with you there. There's a great wind. But we're told God wasn't in the wind. There was a massive earthquake. But we're told God wasn't in the earthquake. And there's a fire. But we're told God's not in the fire. But there's a gentle whisper. Elijah encounters God, strengthening him, recommissioning him, bringing clarity to the next kind of phase of his own life and ministry. As he meets with God on the mountain, it's, it's a gentle whisper. He hears the, the gentle whisper of God. You kind of see all of this variety. Lots of different mountains, lots of different people, lots of different encounters, um, lots of variety in what happens. And what we've read here in, in Mark chapter 9 is, is likely to have happened on Mount Hermon, which isn't named, but it's a few miles north of Caesarea Philippi, which is where they've been recently. So uh, that's where it's thought this took place. And uh, uh, Peter reflects on this profound encounter on the mountain um, that he and those other disciples had in, uh, in his letter to Peter. Look there, 2 Peter chapter 1. We will turn to this one. Uh, verse 16. Peter writing there said, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when, you t- uh, when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory when God the, fa- uh, when God the Father, uh, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Even there, the mountain doesn't get named. It's the, the mountain is not significant. What's significant is what happened on the mountain and what they saw. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Um, Mark puts it like this. They were, went up a high mountain. They were all alone. There, he was transfigured before them. It's like delicious understatement. There, Jesus was transfigured. He was, he was transformed. His appearance was, was different to what it had been uh, before. We get uh, a little bit more information from Mark. His clothes became dazzling white. And, and just to be clear, it wasn't just some interesting kind of laundry moment. Uh, whiter than anyone in the world uh, could bleach them. Uh, Luke, when he records uh, this encounter in his gospel in chapter 9, Luke 9 verse 29 says, the appearance of his face changed. And in Matthew, he says, his face shone like the sun. Something quite amazing happened, which they saw with their own eyes to Jesus' appearance. And not only that, they also see Elijah and Moses talking with Jesus. This is not your everyday occurrence uh, in the life of a Palestinian fisherman. This is fairly unusual, profound moments. We've looked at all those different mountaintop moments, but they, they weren't quite like this one. They've been walking with Jesus for some time. Now they see him absolutely transformed. What are our mountaintop moments? We have highs and we have lows. We have ups and we have downs. Um, what are our mountaintop moments? Well, I wonder actually for some of us whether uh, for many of the, the youth here in the summer going to, to New Day, that can be, that can represent 
a, a mountaintop moment, or uh, for many of us in this room, uh, a few weeks later at the end of August, uh, we went to big kind of multi-church gathering, uh, kind of special meetings, a special time together called uh, Devoted at Newark Showgrounds. It's like a mountaintop moment. Why is that? Well, it's jolly hard effort to get there. The disciples went with Jesus up a mountain. This is not like just a convenient moment. This, it took effort. It was a bit of a hassle. They'd gone for a long, long walk. Mount Hermon is big, if it was indeed that mountain. And, uh, and Luke tells us in his gospel account that they were sleeping uh, when this transfiguration took place. And it's as they were w- waking up and kind of wi- wiping the sleep from their eyes, they suddenly kind of realized what's happening. Why was that? Well, it was hard work. It wasn't easy. It wasn't every day. It was out of the ordinary. Um, away from normal life. They'd gone up the mountain. And we can have those moments which kind of you have to psych yourself up for, right? We're doing it. We're packing up our stuff. We're reminding ourselves what it is to camp. Oh, we've not done this for three years. What's going on? Uh, where, where is everything? Why does it take so much effort? But you don't want to miss a mountaintop moment if Jesus says, come with me. But yeah, this is worth the effort. We're going up and we're going to see what he wants to show us. A time away from the ordinary, a time away from daily distractions, normal routines, a time when... As it were, we're just with friends, with people that we know, and encountering God and seeing him more clearly. It's not necessarily a, a natural high. Look back here and we see actually the disciples, in a sense, are grieving. They've said, you're the Christ. And Jesus said, I'm going to die. And they're like, what? They're, they're kind of in grief they're in shock trying to process what Jesus has been saying and they've they've gone up the mountain they're they're tired it's often the case that that God reserves special moments of encounter with him actually when we need them the most not just naturally when we're doing well it could be a personal moment it could be an encounter with God that's been with a big group of people or with just a few friends encountering God together. It could just be a personal and private moment. The Apostle John later, he didn't go up a mountain. He was taken as prisoner to the island of Patmos for his faith. He was in a prison cell, but there he kind of didn't go up a mountain, but he received a vision. He's like, on, the, on the Lord's day, I was in this prison cell, but on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and God was revealing things to me. He was opening my eyes. I I saw a vision. He gets a vision. He describes it in the whole of the book of Revelation. But as it were, within that, he gets a vision of another mountain. He gets a vision of Mount Zion. That's where we're headed. That's glory. That's heaven. That's what this is all about right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in a pretty desperate situation, but Thank you, Lord. You're opening my eyes to spiritual reality that exists right now that I will see for myself one day and forever in glory. All this variety of mountaintop moments can be a a flash of revelation, a tangible experience. God is in this place. It can be a gentle whisper that if you try to describe it to someone else, it won't sound that significant. but, But you know God met you in that place. And it does you good. 
It refreshes you, helps you to see clearly. You think, right, no, from this vantage point, I, I can see the way ahead. Everything has been clouded. Everything's got a bit murky. And I've just been battling and just feeling like I'm grieving. But things have become clearer. I know the way ahead. I can see where God's wanting to take things now. A variety of mountaintop moments that these uh, believers in Scripture have experienced that we may have experienced in our own walk with God as well. How do, how do the disciples react to all of this? To this mount, to what they see? Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters. Peter, the man of action, doesn't know what to say, but he can come up with something. So here he is. We could build something. We could set up a camp. We could stay here forever. And let's kind of preserve the moment. Let's contain this thing. Let's, let's try and live here. This is, this is surely it. This is everything our hearts have been longing for. We don't understand it, and frankly, we're petrified, but we don't want this to change. We don't want to lose the moment. And again, in Luke's gospel, he says, actually, it happened as, as Elijah and Moses were then retreating. They were then going back. No, 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 don't go. I could build three shelters. We'll start something big here, the six of us. And the nations of the world will gather to us and you'll be here and you'll have your huts and we will too and it'll all just be beautiful and magnificent we'll st- the kingdom starts here this is, this is what it's all been building up to, to well no this, this isn't actually it what do you mean this isn't it this is amazing, this is wonderful this is just oh, it's like breathing fresh air this is what I've always believed but now I'm really seeing it surely everything's been building up to this point and nothing needs change again no this this isn't actually it. Does that mean it, it leads to some kind of disappointment? Oh, oh we, well, that, well, that was it, but it's, it's gone. The moment's passed. Now they've seen a glimpse of glory. They've not arrived at their final destination. This is for a different purpose. It serves the same purpose as a good trailer to a movie that's coming out. So, have you been jamming up all the cinema websites trying to book your tickets for Star Wars Episode 7. Kerry is to blame <laughs> if you've not managed to get your... So we, we know that on, on the 17th of December, for the first time, if you're sat in a cinema, you can see the whole film. You think, this is it, glory, kind of. Um, but on the way to that date, on the internet... Or if you happen to be watching a James Bond film, uh, you might spot the trailer. Kind of the credits run, the theme music plays, you see kind of what you'd be expecting to see. But it's just a glimpse, it's a taste. It's not there to to tease you, ah, we've taken it away. You don't go to the cinema, see the trailer and think, what, it shouldn't stop now, I want to see the whole thing. You know it's pointing forward, you know it's to kind of, keep you interested, as it were, keep you going until the feature-length film comes out and you go and see that. I don't want to develop the analogy too much further or too closely. Other films are available. But it, it's the trailer. You don't, you don't kind of watch the trailer and then think, oh, no. Oh. You, th- you watch the trailer and think, great, I'm going I'm I'm to get my ticket. I'm going to go. I'm, I'm interested in seeing... More. It doesn't discourage you, it kind of energizes you and it keeps you going. That's 
what this moment was for. This mountaintop moment is not because they had arrived and they would never leave that mountain again. They needed this encounter with God on the mountain to help them when they went back down and they were in the valley. What's the valley? The valley is where we live most of our lives. The valley can involve a number of things. We will see the end of this passage results in them going back down the mountain, having a chat on the way. And we'll see what happens next time we're in Mark when they got there. What's it like? It's not a place of no breakthrough and no encounter with God. They're walking with Jesus all the time. But in valley times, in lower times, we might be feeling a bit flat. We may encounter other people's weaknesses and failures, and actually at some point we are bound to encounter our own weaknesses and failures. On the mountaintop, it's all glorious. It's all wonderful. On the mountain, you're just with your close friends and people who are on the same page and who have basically got the same worldview and basically agree. And you're with Jesus and you're seeing him even more closely. When you go down the mountain, it's like, well, yeah, there are friends, but there are strangers. And there are strangers and actually there are some critics. That, there can be arguments. There can be clashes. There can be frustrations of things that we believe can change. And often we encounter wonderful answers to prayer, but there are other situations where things don't seem to change. And we're tempted to be prayerless because, well, this is the valley. God only answers prayers on the mountain. And most of life is, is kind of just slightly uh, mundane. Well, this is why Peter was writing what he did. He was recounting this experience when he wrote in, in 2 Peter, what we uh, looked at just a moment ago. Um, he's saying, look, we, didn't, we weren't following cleverly invented Stories. Why is he recapping? Why is he going back to his own experience of being an eyewitness of, his, of God's majesty? Well, he, he says just before it in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory, as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I'll soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Jesus was talking with Elijah and Moses. In Luke's gospel, we find out that they were talking about his departure. Now Peter's talking about his departure. Time, but I want you to remember. So actually, if you look back to the summer and think it was all glorious, and I got to go to New Day, and actually I felt... Uh, that God was speaking to me specifically and making some stuff clear at Devoted and oh, it was such a high point and now actually you've come to the end of a half term and some of us develop half term itis which is basically I need a break half the household are ill and it's my turn next or it's just been a long slog through eight weeks of the first term of this new school year that you've been in. 
or after eight weeks of the adrenaline rush of Freshers' Week and everything being new, you kind of think, oh, goodness. We can get tired. Now, actually, we need to look back. We need to remember, what has God made clear? What has God revealed? If God spoke to you at New Day, what did he say? Do you remember? If God's revealed himself to you in a powerful way, don't ignore it. But what we're not doing is just looking back and wistfully kind of saying, oh, do you remember when? Do you remember that high point in my life? It was 10 years ago. It was 20 years ago. This is what was happening in the church. This is what was happening in family. I was baptized in the Spirit and this happened. And, and oh, wasn't it glorious back then? If only we could go back then. No, that's not the point of a mountaintop experience. The point is not to get us to look back and just long for it. Oh, I want to go back to the early 90s. That probably wouldn't be good. Um, or I want to go back to that special point in my life. If only I could go back and relive. No, it's not there to, to kind of covet and idolize in that way. It's there to remind you, who is God? What is he doing? What has he shown me? And where are we heading now? It's that trailer. And there'll be other mountaintop experiences ahead in God's timing, according to what he wants to do and shape in your life. In the meantime, don't get disappointed if life feels mundane. Don't be disappointed if life feels ordinary. Don't be surprised if you encounter your own weakness and frailty. And there are puzzles and there are things that... The whole of this Christian life is not a mountaintop experience. Praise God that he meets with us there. Praise God he walks to us and leads us through. And to change the metaphor, there are times when it's like we are sitting uh, and we're just led to an oasis. We've been in a desert, we've been trudging, we've been working hard, we've been on the journey, and ah, sit down, relax. Or as King David might say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. And at other times, he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. But he's prepared a table before me. Maybe that is even referring to a a tabletop plateau of good pasture for the sheep that the shepherd knows is there. Come on, come through this valley. Follow me. We're heading somewhere. I've got pasture for you. Praise God that he meets us. In powerful times. The Apostle John can say, I was caught up in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Maybe that happened every day. Maybe it didn't. But he knew in himself the Spirit kind of bringing a fresh, heightened awareness of God and his glory and who he is. So we don't just get cynical and think, oh, it doesn't make any difference. That was just a flash in the pan moment with God. Life's all just mundane. No, we don't get cynical. We're just realistic. We praise God for mountains and we live by faith in the valleys knowing that he's going to provide. He's he's going to provide. He's going to demonstrate these small mercies and, and miracles of his coordination as Jules was telling us about earlier when where was she? She was in hospital. It's not your obvious mountaintop experience, but it's the faithfulness of God being demonstrated to one of his sheep who's being led by him. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in this prison, John would have said. 
I don't want to encounter this difficulty at work. I want it all to be glory. Well, it's not all glory. But we have a God who is glorious and who leads us and loves us and is good for us. So remember, expect God to meet with you powerfully at a variety of times in a variety of ways, but keep moving forward. Don't be discouraged when life is puzzling. Your mountaintop moments or moments weren't it. They were a checkpoint on the road to help us glimpse and see who he is. That's what the disciples saw. They saw Jesus in a whole new light. But, secondly, you're getting worried now. There might only be two points. I'm not quite sure if we get to the third. Um, What they saw was so impressive, so majestic, so glorious, and yet possibly what they heard was more important. What do the disciples hear? Well, they hear the voice of God the Father interrupting Peter's daft suggestion. Peter says, Rabbi, let's build a few huts. And then this cloud envelops them, and they hear the voice of God speaking. It's, it's very similar to what happened in Mark chapter 1, verse 11, when Jesus was baptized. I think someone may have referred to this moment in Jesus' life um, earlier in our time of worship. When Jesus was baptized by John, it says, A voice came from heaven, notice, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Who was the voice speaking to? God the Father was speaking to Jesus. You are my son. It, that utterance from glory was for Jesus' benefit. Now this was for Jesus' benefit too, no doubt. He would need strengthening. He needed a mountaintop right now. He needed to have a chat with Elijah and Moses. What was going on with your departure? Don't worry, you're on the right track. You're heading now to Jerusalem where your departure is going to take place. You're going to achieve a greater exodus than Moses ever achieved. Uh, You're going to be rejected like Elijah was rejected, but God is with you. Jesus needed this. Of course, it was for Jesus' benefit. But notice that the voice now on the mountain is saying, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. God the Father is speaking to the disciples. Listen to him. Listen to what he has said. Listen to what he's saying right now. And listen to what he will say in the future. Don't get too preoccupied with the feelings or experiences of the mountaintop. Well, this is what happened for me, and this is how I felt God speak to me. This is what I saw, and it was a vision, and it was a bit like this, and I kind of felt like this, and I fell over on the floor. And no, it wasn't quite like that for me. I was just by myself, and it was just this still, gentle moment and a whisper from the Lord. Yes, there's variety. We don't need to get caught up in comparisons. What was being said here is, listen. Pay attention. The disciples need to learn afresh. The disciples need to be re-educated. The disciples need to have their worldview rearranged. All their preconceptions, their, uh, their assumptions about what the kingdom must be like and what the Messiah must be like 
all need to change. And so much through life, the same is true for us. That's why Paul, writing in Romans chapter 12, uh, could say, Look, Therefore, brothers, I urge you in view of God's mercy, in view of this wonderful gospel I've been telling you about for 12 chapters, you know, present your bodies to the Lord as a, as a living sacrifice. It's your spiritual act of worship. Um, uh, be transfigured by the renewing of your mind, uh, because it's the same or the similar word. Be transformed, be changed, be renewed. Pay attention, look at this wonderful gospel. Now listen and, and work it out in your life. So we've, we've been, we're being led. Yes, there'll be mountaintop moments, but a lot of the time is daily offering my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Daily seeking to have my mind renewed by coming to the scripture and saying, God, I need to listen to you. Teach me how to do life. Teach me how to do marriage. Teach me how to be a disciple. Teach me how I can be involved in discipling others. Teach me how to be a neighbor. Teach me uh, how to be a good colleague. Uh, Teach me, Lord. I need to listen. I need to learn. Look, that's normal and often mundane Christian life. Getting before God in his word. Teach me. I want to listen. I want to pay attention. See, it it can seem so inadequate that Peter said, Rabbi, he called him Rabbi, teacher. The voice from the cloud interrupts, it's my son. He's the son of God. Not just your rabbi, but actually, Jesus is the rabbi. And what the disciples do, they sit at the feet of their rabbi and listen and learn and pay attention. They are going back down the mountain very soon. They're going to have a chat with Jesus on the way. They're going to get to the bottom of the mountain and they're going to continue on their journey, or they're going to start really their, their, their journey through to Jerusalem They'll encounter setback, they'll encounter puzzles, they'll encounter uh, challenges, they'll encounter opposition. But rather than just worship the Son of God on the mountain, they're going to need to pay attention to him. Because these disciples need to change their priorities. In the light of Jesus' death, his suffering, what should our priorities be? Jesus is going to speak to them about their ambitions, what it means to be truly great in the kingdom of God. So again, they're going to have to change. Their minds are going to have to be renewed. What does it mean to be great? It means serve. It means make yourself nothing. They're going to need to learn attitudes about children, about relationships. We need to learn the same about family life about how to handle money, about how to deal with sin. These are all things where they're going to need to listen. Listen. How do we work these things through in the light of God's kingdom? How do the disciples react? Again, this building of three shelters or that idea kind of reveals perhaps 
Peter is amazingly impressed with what he's just seen, but he's slightly misunderstood. He thinks that Jesus is being raised, that he's now on the same level of, as Moses and Elijah. He thinks, wow, look, Jesus has completely been transformed. Well, yes, he has. But this isn't something entirely new happening to Jesus. This is, what was unusual was that Jesus took on flesh. That's when he was transfigured. That's when he was changed. Because who is he? He's the son of God who has always been on the throne of glory. And he veiled his glory by coming to be with us. Now they're glimpsing who he has always been, what he's always been like. This is not Jesus being raised to the same status as Elijah and Moses. This is not Jesus being raised to be one of many heroes, people that we might give our attention to and think are are worth us listening to. That's not saying kind of just ignore the heroes of the faith or ignore the, the heroes, the significant figureheads in your own culture. It's, well, hang on, the disciples need to be brought to this point where actually they saw Moses and Elijah go. And this intriguing statement just says, um, suddenly, in verse 8, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Actually, that's the point we need to be at. We need to arrive at. We, we, really, we only see him. He's the one who's been elevated in our view Uh, in our estimation, in the way that we see life. This is not a a new Jesus. This is a glimpse of the the one who has always been. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He's uh, he's the uh, the image of of God. He's the exact representation of God. Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Uh, John uh, chapter 17. Jesus prays. Um, again, a revealing prayers, how he understood his own identity uh, in John 17, verse 4 and 5. He prays this to his heavenly Father. I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. He is the Son of God. He has always been the awesome, glorious, radiant one who spoke the universe into being. It was unusual. It was bizarre that he should transfigure himself, that he should change himself, that he should take on human flesh and be an ordinary carpenter from Nazareth. And here now the disciples get this eye-opening encounter with him. So in a sense, for all of us, our worldview needs to Change for the first time or just kind of come back into line where we just see Jesus. We're not kind of totally dismissing Elijah and Moses or others that we might pay attention to, but actually we just see him. There's a famous book called The Glory of Christ by a guy called Peter Lewis. He starts his book um, by recounting experience of going along to a, a Welsh chapel on holiday and hearing the guy preach there. And perhaps we will wrap up with this point and 
Never mind about point number three. Um, Peter Lewis says, we'd heard this guy preach, and then he, he finished up by kind of just leaning on the lectern and said, as a young lad, I, this is this guy speaking, I idolized this uh, particular sporting hero. Now, at this point, if this were me, I would have said, it's just obvious, it's Nigel Mansell. He was the one on posters in the early 90s in my bedroom. Um, anyway, we'll move on from that. Um, and the guy preaching said, I had the opportunity to meet this man. My absolute hero. He'd played, I forget now, kind of rugby for the nation and cricket for the county. He was absolutely kind of outstanding. I collected every press cutting back in the day. Um, I focused on this guy so much, and I got to meet him, and we just go fishing, and I got to know. I got to spend time right up close and personal with this guy. And do you know what? The closer I got to him, the smaller he became. Because I got to see, actually, what he was really like. I got to see some of his attitudes. I got to see some of the things that weren't so nice about his character. I had that moment once with an English teacher. I might have mentioned this before. Forgive me if I just circle around the same illustrations about every month. But anyway, um, having finished school, there was a particular English teacher that I had uh, kind of through GCSE. And he was impressive. He was a bit bizarre, but he was so impressive. He was so passionate about his subject. And uh, I had a lot of time, a lot of respect for him. After leaving school, um, me and a few friends were on a train and we bumped into him. And it was that kind of moment of the closer I got, the smaller he became. I realized that he was an ordinary guy. I realized that he was jealous, a bit bitter about some others in the department of the school. How he had, I just, oh, oh dear. I, I, potentially, I could have idolized you or I, I could have made something more of you, but you've got smaller. Going back to our Welsh, Welsh preacher, he said, but the closer I've got to Jesus, in 35 years, the bigger he becomes. He never disappoints. I never come across something that's suspicious or sinister or crude or there's no hint, there's no bitterness in him, there's nothing in him at all. He says, I've walked with my Jesus for 35 years now. In that time, I've got to know him better, and the nearer I get, the bigger he becomes. Praise God that we will meet with him on, in mountaintop moments. Praise God that we are looking ahead to the Mount Zion when we won't just hop up and down an inconvenient mountain to spend time with the Lord in a special moment. We will have an eternity stretching ahead of us of infinitely special, powerful encounters with him which will have the rich intimacy of those personal moments when we hear the whisper of God and they'll have that glorious kind of dramatic moment when we're with thousands of millions and we're just saying I'm with him and he's with us 
It's all of that and more. And we'll never be disappointed. And that's where we're heading. But we're walking with him now. What are you walking down the mountain towards? What does the mundane ordinariness of life involve for you? What do you need to remember that God has made clear and God has revealed in times past? In what areas do you need to listen to him? Do you need to pay attention to what he's saying? It's not going to all be in kind of glorious red letters in the sky. It's on mundane moments on a Monday morning when we think, I will open the Bible. I will have a look at that psalm. Or whatever time of day. Or whatever passage of the Bible. Or however long you've got. Whether it's a snippet here or glorious extended time over there whether it's just with yourself or whether it's with mates uh, friends in core group or midweek group whatever the situation what are you listening to is there anybody else you're in danger of lifting up and putting on a par with Jesus when it comes to such and such an issue when it comes to this situation thank you Jesus but I'm going over here to someone else We've got life neatly arranged. Jesus is for the mountain. Jesus is for the spiritual life. I've just got to sort my money out. So I'm going somewhere else. Well, of course it's good to get advice from any number of sources. But we need to come to that point where we just see Jesus. We're reminded again, he is the Christ. He is the one and I'm sticking with him. I'm following him right now, even in the midst of my own failure. I'm turning to him. I'm coming to him afresh. I'm walking with him when I'm tempted not to pray because I just think nothing's going to happen anyway. I'm learning from him. Are you learning from him? Are you walking with him? Are you enjoying him? Let's pray. Let's worship. Let's draw ourselves near to him today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Why don't we stand, stand together? Just loosen ourselves up a bit. It gives you opportunity just as we pray right now if, just to be reaching out to God, to be engaging with him. I don't know about you, but it's way beyond lunchtime. Certainly it feels that way. But God is amongst us. Whether today represents a mountaintop, whether it just represents the ordinary, or whether it represents your lowest ebb ever, our most important thing is that we're, we're drawing close to him. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the words that came from the cloud and spoke to frightened disciples that spoke to grieving disciples that spoke to weak disciples puzzled disciples and thank you Lord that through what Mark has recorded for our benefit those words come to us today This is my son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
Father God, I want to thank you for the privilege we have in walking with Jesus and knowing his presence with us. Whether it's tangible or whether it's by faith, Lord, whether it's on a mountain or down a valley, you are a God who's with us all the time. You don't leave us high and dry. You don't swan off when the road gets rocky. You're with us. You're here. And so, Father God, simply I pray, as we worship you now, open our eyes that we might see afresh. Open our ears that we're going to receive afresh life from your word. Lord, open our minds to consider, make the connections to see you in the pages of Scripture, to see you in ordinary life, that we're believing you for powerful times, we're believing you for healing, we're believing you for powerful encounters when we're on our face, but we're not allowing ourselves to become disappointed just looking back to glory days Father there's more there's more we want to keep walking with you keep listening to you keep learning from you and stay on the journey that you've called us to wherever that leads us in Jesus name Amen Amen let's stand up we are stood let's worship